We're going to start a series today on what is church. It's easy to define it in some cases, in some cases it's not. We're going to talk a lot about what church is and what church isn't. And this is going to go for weeks, and we're going to maybe even months, and we're going to look at, there's a lot in the New Testament about what is a church. I, um, I want you guys up there to bring up that image of, uh, of Clearview. I want to show you a picture up here. Uh, there we go. That's Clearview Baptist Church. And let me tell you where that was. Right on that front lawn by the, right around uh, Franklin Road, the entrance down there. That was us. That was us in 1985, 1986. It's come a long way since then, hadn't it? You know, on, on that particular day, I, I see wooden chairs. I see somebody brought an igloo cooler, it looks like. Somebody backed their car up and opened a trunk probably to bring out equipment on a hot summer day. There are people still at this church that were a part of that. You know, like when I saw that picture, my thought was, could we still do it? Could we still do that? In a world full of amenities and air conditioning and padded chairs and a staff, in a $3.8 million budget, that's a long way from a $3.8 million budget. Could we still do it? See, I think in those days, those people came together with this idea that Franklin in this area needed a gospel presence. You got to remember, when, when this was here, when that, when that was started, we were in the middle of nowhere. Literally, the middle of, we're in the middle of everywhere now. We were in the middle of nowhere. People actually thought that this was like the mission field because it was just farms. Could we still do it? We're going to look at what is a church and what it is not. You know, since the pandemic, the pandemic revealed a lot. A lot of your businesses are different. I don't know anything that's the same. The way we learn, education's different. All kinds of things are different. Life is different. Marketplace is different. The way we consume goods is different. And that didn't stop at the steeple. You know, I, I, I've said this to you before. It, it's, it's, it's really, we're in a strange era right now in the church because everywhere you go, every pastor I talk to, regardless of denomination, every state that I end up interacting with, or if I go somewhere and speak, denominational officials, they're, they're all saying basically the same tune. The church is just different now. It's different post-COVID. It's thinner. In fact, I, I, I would say it to you this way. I, I really believe uh, that God used COVID. This is my opinion. I mean, you're not going to find this tucked away in Deuteronomy somewhere. But I really believe that, that God used COVID to separate the religious from the redeemed. Because, see, religious people, it, they can take it or leave it. Kingdom people, you can't keep them from coming. Now, I don't mean church attendance. I mean, you can't keep kingdom people from doing kingdom things. Kingdom people are going to pursue the kingdom of God. They just are. And so the church is now, it's different. It's just different across the board everywhere I go. And I thought, you know, this is going to be a really, really good time for us to take a good, hard look at what is the church. And Zach read to you a passage of scripture a minute ago. 
about Jesus and his exchange with Peter. And we're actually going to be looking at that today because something had happened there. Peter, he was asking Peter that question for a reason because Peter was bringing what I would call predetermined expectations, and Jesus knew it. I don't know if you, I don't know if you ever see yourself doing this. I do this kind of stuff all the time. I determine my expectations on the front end, and I'll tell you that if you predetermine your expectations, they often become frustrations. If you have front-loaded expectations, you ever done that on a vacation? Like the pictures on VRBO didn't quite line up with what they said you were going to get. I think if I had a VRBO house, I wouldn't have pictures. Then it's just a wonderful surprise. Everything's good, you know? Under-promise, over-deliver, right? Maybe, but nobody would rent my house, though, right? Under-promise, over-deliver, I've learned with my life, if I go out to a, a restaurant, if I have predetermined expectations, a lot of times those expectations become frustrations. And I think that's what happened often with the disciples. Today we're going to talk about church and defining expectations. I'm going to give you a little context about this passage. Jesus was asking this question to a bunch of Jews. Men that... See, the Jews, the Jews knew... The Jews knew that the Messiah was coming. The, the word of the prophets had told them that for centuries. There was going to be a day when they were going to get a Messiah. But their definition of what they wanted in a Messiah versus what they got in a Messiah was causing a problem. Because the kind of Messiah that they wanted was not the kind of Messiah Jesus was. So you've you got to understand why that mattered. Because they were always asking him this question, when are you going to set up your kingdom? When are you going to set up your kingdom? See, here's what happened. The, the Jews had been taken over by Romans. Okay? The, people, the, 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 the Romans had taken over the world for the most part. And so now, that, so that's, 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 the kind of, that's the kind of king they wanted. They wanted a military king. Just That's what they wanted the Messiah to be. They wanted the Messiah to be somebody that was going to come in and kill all the Romans. We want, we want a Messiah. We heard we're getting a Messiah, but they wanted a military king. They wanted somebody to bring justice and vengeance and overthrow the Roman government so they could get their home back. They wanted their land back. And Jesus came in saying, oh, I am the Messiah, but I'm not that. And I'm not going to be that. So when he asked Peter this question, we're going to turn to Matthew 16. If you've got your Bible, he asked Peter this question, and there's a lot to it. And I think we're going to it's be a great place to start our church series. It's the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew chapter 16. And, and so Peter is asking, uh, he's in a dialogue with Jesus, and the, the apostles and the disciples are talking there. And Here we go. Verse 13, so when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And then there's others that say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus said to them, but who do you say? I am. So what Jesus is saying is, what are y'all hearing out there? And that's how they answered. He said, yeah, I know, I know what's going on, but I want to know who do you say I am. And in verse 16, Peter says to him, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Peter, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. 
In other words, you didn't come up with this answer on your own, but my Father who is in heaven revealed this to you. So he changes his name right here in verse 18. I say to you that you are now Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not overpower it. What he's saying is upon this rock, upon the confession, on that, on that statement that you just made, that I am the Christ, the son of the, the living God, I, that, that's where we're going to start, Peter, right there. You're the Christ. So verse 19, he says, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. See, that's a different conversation. He's saying to Peter, Peter, you've got expectations. You've got, you've got real front-loaded expectations, but I'm not going to be the guy you want me to be. I'm going to be who the Father sent me to be. And so here's why we're starting here. You may think, why are we starting this church series on this? Because I'll tell you, friends, if you, if you don't get this part right, the rest of it's really hard. If you don't get this answer right in your own soul of who is Jesus who is he? If you don't get this part right, the rest of it's really hard. It's really going to be hard. And so there's two things kind of happening right here. And, and, and I'm going to put one in the eternal and one in the earthly. Because the question kind of demands it. Who do you say I am? And the, the, that, that question that he sent to Peter is just as true today as it was then. You, you yourself, uh, man, you, you've got to answer this own question in your own soul. Who is Jesus? And here's why. Because number one, my eternal destiny is determined by my acceptance of Jesus' authority over me. Okay? My, my eternal destiny is, is, is kind of, it hinges on how you answer that. It, it's not, he, he's not just saying to Peter, hey, do you want to be a moral king? Hey, Peter, am I just another prophet? Am I another good, good teacher? Or am I actually, hey, guys, y'all been following me for a while? Do y'all think I'm actually the one? Or you, do you still not kind of know? I am who I said I am, but can you fall under that, Peter? Do you accept the authority? Because how you answer that is going to determine where you spend eternity. And it poses true for you today, friend. How you answer that still matters. How you answer that still matters. If Jesus is just another moral teacher, if, if, if that's who he is, you're, you're going to miss out on the whole reason of his coming. He's not a culture king, and he's not a military king, and he's not there to help you with your own agenda. He's there for you to fall under his supreme, eternal kingship. And I don't think that's really hard for us as evangelicals. I think it's the second part that's harder. See, Jesus didn't just come to die on a cross and come out of a grave. Yes, that's true. But let me, listen, you've heard me say this before, but I'm going to keep it in front of you often. If, if Jesus only came so that you and I could have deliverance from our sins, die on a cross, go to a grave, come out of a grave, he could have done, if it was just a contract, he could have done that in a matter of hours. But Jesus walked the earth for 33 years, and then he came out of a grave, and for the last 2,000 years, we've had a church. So he was asking Peter, I think, a bigger question, who do you say I am, Peter? Because I'm setting up a whole new kingdom. And the reason I'm not going to be a military king is because you, your, your political issues aren't your biggest problem. Your, your biggest problem is your sin. And you've got you to deal with that first. And then how are you going to walk that out? So that's the eternal part. 
But then there's this other part about your earthly experience, and I want to say it to you this way. This question matters, who do you say I am? Because my earthly experience is shaped by my submission to Jesus' authority over me. Not just my eternal situation, but my earthly situation. Did you notice in verse 18, look at that if you have a Bible. Look in verse 18 right there. He says, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, he didn't say our church. He didn't. He didn't. He wasn't asking for Peter's opinion on what kind of church he could build. He was asking Peter, are you able to fall underneath my leadership, Peter? I mean, I don't know if you guys have noticed, if you ever studied life, Peter, a little bit, but Peter had a tendency to be strong-willed a little from time to time. Hey, Peter, can you fall underneath this kind of authority? You know, it's interesting to me that as I look back at how evangelical Christians live their lives, if you were to ask an evangelical Christian, who is Jesus? They're going to give you pretty much one answer in, in not so many words. Oh, he's the, he's the king. He's the son of God. He's the name above every name, and his name every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. They will give you an absolutely solid answer on who Jesus is, and it'll be in a sentence or two if you ask most Bible-believing Christians. But if you ask most Bible-believing Christians, okay, who is the church and what is the church? You better get a cup of coffee. Because it's going to be a long answer and a lot of debate. You know, I thought about this, and, and an image came to my mind. I want you to look at this. An image came to mind. I don't know about you, but most of my life, when I've seen a, a steeple or a church, there's often a cross over it. In fact, there's a cross over this church, over the atrium out there. Don't you find it interesting that above every church, which is a group of people, there is a cross, meaning it means that the body sits underneath the authority and the power of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. That's what it signifies. So here's my question, though. If that's true, if the church is in submission to who Jesus is, look back over the last 2,000 years. Don't you find it ironic that the church has done many good things, but there's division, turmoil, lots of opinions, brokenness, a whole lot of agendas, and a whole lot of different versions. I find that interesting, that we say we're under the authority of Jesus, but in fact, we really run it a lot of times like a democracy. And I'm going to tell you something, friends. When I look at the New Testament, there's one thing I don't see. I don't see any place ever where the church was a democracy. Ever. It was a theocracy. Yes, we, have, we play a part in that. There's no doubt. We play a part in, the, in the, the, how that's to be played out. But Jesus wasn't asking Peter for his vote. He was asking Peter... Are you willing to fall under me? And in fact, if I would say to you this way this morning, that if there's, if there's one simple concept I want you to walk out of here with, just one, just one concept that I want you to walk out of here with, I built this entire sermon around this little simple process up here that you see. And that is that my view of Jesus has got to align with my view of Jesus' church. This is really critical. 
You, you can't have one view of Jesus and another view of the church. It's not your church. It's his church. Because last time I checked, only one of us in the room died for it and came out of the grave for it. So I can't look at Jesus as the king and I submit to the king and I give my life to the king. Oh, but, but his church, well, no, it's different. Because I've never, I've never heard any evangelical say, oh, um, I, 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 I'm looking for a Jesus that meets. It's really interesting, isn't it? Don't you find that interesting? I've never heard any person say, I'll come to Jesus if he'll meet my desires and my recipe for what I like. See, when I came to Jesus, I realized I was a sinner in need of a Savior, and therefore I had to fall underneath his leadership of my life. But you can't have one view of Jesus and another view of the church of Jesus. Those have to be the same thing. And that's why we're doing this series. Because we were going to talk about what the church is and what the church isn't. What he was asking Peter wasn't for his opinion. He was really asking him, are you willing? Are you willing to be the man I made you to be? Or are you going to demand your own way? And that matters. And I'm going to set that up to tell you why that matters. But there's a verse that reflects it. Look on the screen here at John chapter 12. Right? John chapter 12. Jesus is talking about what it means to follow him. And he says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it gives more grain. It produces much grain. In other words, it's got to empty itself to produce more. So he who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. Look at what he just said. He said, if you want to be a life giver, you have to empty yourself. And I'll, be, and I'll tell you, in, in all transparency, over the years as Christianity has developed more and more and more, especially in the church, I don't hear Christians rarely referring to the church in terms of how can I empty myself for the kingdom of God. Just start paying attention to the way we even describe church. Listen to the what we're looking for in churches. And as long as that sentence starts with what I need, we're in the wrong. We're in the wrong. Because your expectations will become your frustrations because you're front-loading, you're projecting onto God's people something you need. And I'm here to tell you, friend, God wants to meet you and he wants to care for you and he wants to love you. But I want to tell you, God's chief desire in life isn't to make you happy. It's to make you holy. And those are different sometimes. Not all the time. But sometimes... What I need is what I need. What I need is not always what I want. If what I want was what I want, I would make a lifestyle out of Little Debbie's and Sundrop. I'm not joking. I really would. I could find a way three times a day. I could try it. Sometimes I do in duck season, and then I pay for it later. You know, I'm just telling you. 
What I want and what I need are two different things. And so a lot of times we approach church with this whole idea of, oh, I, I want it to fit my desires. And Jesus is saying right there, listen, man, if you, if you want to really experience life, you're going to have to empty yourself. And so I think maybe if we're going to start a church series, why don't we start with Jesus' definition of church? That's pretty healthy, right? Look at what he says in verse 18. He says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, you've got to know what that word means. It means ecclesia. You may have heard that word before. It's on, I put it on the screen for you, ecclesia. We have a word in Christianity called ecclesiology, the study of the church. You know what that, you know what that word means in, in the original language? I don't often get into word studies with you, but this is a really important word. I mean, if we're going to talk about church, we should go back to what Jesus said about it. And so when Jesus said ecclesia, you know what that word means? It means the ones called out. It means that you were called out to be sent out. You were called out to be sent out. So you weren't called out to fulfill your own desires. You were called out to fulfill his desires for you. And so what he just told you was, if you want to experience true life, I'm going to call you out, but you're going to have to do it my way. We're called out to be sent out. And the reason this matters so much, you've got to understand, I mean, if we're going to talk about church, let's start with how Jesus defined it, because he was setting them up for something. He was about to send them out to confront a world broken by sin. Jesus was about to send them out to confront demons that inhabited people. And see, you, you can't cast out demons in your name. You need Jesus' authority to do that. And by the way, that stuff still happens today. It doesn't matter if you believe in it or not. Ask missionaries. They'll tell you. If you're going to confront the demonic, you can't do that on your power. You've got to have his power. You, Jesus is about to send Peter and the, and the disciples out. He's about to send you and me out. We are commissioned to go out. And if you're going to go out and confront a culture, you're going to have to do it in his power and not your power. And in order to do that, You've got to do that in his strength and not yours. So if you're going to heal the sick and lay hands on them and anoint them with oil, you've got to have real power coming underneath that. And you can't do that on your own agenda. You've got to empty yourself of your agenda for that to happen. And so Peter is, is being told, and, he's, and it's, it's, it's the same thing for all of us today, that if you really want to experience this kind of life, you can. But Peter, it's a one-way street. I'm not asking for a partner. You want to set up new churches on new continents? You want to you spread Christianity to every continent and to every tribe and every nation? You get to do it, Peter, but you're only going to do it the way I want to do it. You can't get to do it the way you want to do it. This is the kind of church Jesus was going to build. Jesus wasn't interested in a democracy. He really wasn't. You see, your view of church has got to align with your view of Jesus. You can't have one view of Jesus and another view of the church. You really just can't do that. The only church that he's going to build is his church. The only church he's going to put an anointing on is his way. And that gets hard sometimes. It's no different for me than it is you. Because I'd be lying to you if I told you that I didn't have preferences. I've got preferences. It's not bad. It's not bad that you have preferences. 
but you have to check them all the time because there are going to be unmet expectations if you're not careful. And Peter wrestled with that, and so did the disciples, and so did the apostles, really until I believe the Holy Spirit came. My view of Jesus has got to align with my view of church. But I will make you a covenant promise, friend. If you will submit your life to an emptying out of your own agenda, and if you're willing to follow, you will experience a side of God, and you'll experience a side of the church of God that you've never seen before. You'll become a life giver and not a life consumer. If you fall underneath the authority of the confession, it's your church and you're the king. And I'm all in. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter. But sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world to sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.